Hi, this is Joe. And Olivia. <laughs> and you're listening to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Our mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens while combining elements of screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Our knowledge and experience will hopefully provide you with access points to feminist theory, art history, and film critique while using horror and science fiction genres as a site of discourse. Since we will be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, uh, content warning, listener discretion is advised, etc., also, spoilers ahead. This week, we will be discussing Jonathan Demme's 1991 film, The Silence of the Lambs. You spook easily, Starling? Not yet, sir. He's past the others. The last cell. I'll be watching. You'll do fine. A killer is on the loose. Keeps them alive for three days. Then he shoots them, skins them, and dumps them. A rookie FBI agent is on his trail. He's got real physical strength, cautious, precise, and he's never impulsive. He'll never stop. But in order to track him down, she'll have to match wits. I'll help you catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. With the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. So close to the way you're gonna catch him, do you realize that? Oh, Clarice, your problem is you need to get more fun out of life. You told me you don't spook easily. You call this easy, sir? Lecter's missing hand arm. Man's a raging maniac. Who knows what he'll do? Thank you, Clary. Thank you. Clary Starling, a young FBI cadet, must receive the help from an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer named Hannibal Lecter to help catch another serial killer, a psychopath nicknamed Buffalo Bill, who kills young women and then removes the skin from their bodies. Jill, what is your history with this? Fun. Uh, I attempted to watch it as a child and got too scared, but yeah. <laughs> as an adult now, I have watched it lots of times because mm-hmm. I love Jodie Foster yeah, so great. much. Jody. I love her. Yeah. What about you, Olivia? Um, I don't remember the first time uh, I watched Silence of the Lambs, but I do remember the poster. Uh, my mom and I would rent movies from a St. Mattel blockbuster every week, and I still distinctly remember seeing this giant Silence of the Lambs poster on the wall, it was black and white. It was a black and white photograph of a woman's face with a moth over the mouth. And I was obsessed. I needed to know everything about it. It was also posted right next to the screen poster. Your favorite film. My favorite. <laughs> um, and I've rewatched this movie countless times. Um, I think it's really, really beautiful um, and well done in some ways. But there's obviously, it has some problems. One of them is <laughs> the transphobia and the transmisogyny. Um, as... Uh, depicted through the Buffalo Bill character. Um, So I have a quote here by Annalise Griffin um, from the article, Before We Knew Better, Silence of the Lambs is a win for women, but fails LGBTQ culture. Uh, So they write, Nearly 30 years later, Silence of the Lambs paints a portrait of sexism and misogyny that still feels carefully nuanced and intricately layered. Silence of the Lambs fails gay culture, though, which is depicted as a seedy, horrific underworld stalked by literal monsters. You can design a more transphobic bad guy than the serial killer Starling spends the movie in search of. This is not to say that Signs of the Lambs is feminist. Its treatment of body size is appalling. 
The film describes the murdered women in a variety of ways that strip their bodies of dignity. There's a lot of ugliness towards women in this movie. The nuance that Foster brings to Agent Starley makes the inhuman portrayal of transgender people all the more stunning. They're simply monsters. Buffalo Bill stalks his basement full of sewing formed mannequins playing dress up and stroking his poodle named Precious. At one point, he retrieves an insanely huge gun out of a uh, from under a quilt pattern with cheerful yellow swastikas. He's terrifyingly powerful yet menacingly feminized. He's a specter of a scary man in a wig made from an actual human scalp that every trans-focused bathroom band attempts to conjure. Sons of the Lambs makes no attempt to understand trans people or the wider LGBTQ community, painting a picture that grimly of a grimly marginal life of dangerous sex and macabre, macabre interior design. It rubs the lotion on its skin. It does this whenever it's told. Mr. My family will pay cash. Whatever ransom you're asking for, they'll pay it. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Yes, you will, precious. You will get the hose. Harris and filmmaker Jonathan Demi have attempted to avoid as accusations of their of the trans misogyny depicted in the film um, by saying that Buffalo Bill isn't really trans um, and the explanations for why Bill isn't trans are in fact an accurate depiction of how medical gatekeepers try to keep trans women from transitioning based on incredibly sexist and homophobic criteria. Um, the depiction of Buffalo Bill can be seen as the blueprint for a trans-exclusionary radical feminist movement where trans women are accused of somehow erasing the experiences of other women and those who support anti-trans bathroom bills, that trans people are predatory monsters. Um, in Signs of the Lambs, uh, trans women are the ultimate representation of male violence. I concur in the fact that Buffalo Bill is a very like problematized mm -hmm. representation of trans bodies, trans experience. There's much more on mm -hmm. gender and yeah. identity later on. Um, I will say that the scene with Goodbye Horses playing and Buffalo Bill dancing in front of the mirror is iconic and it's so beautiful. It is. And it's maybe the best use of a pop song in a movie. It's very good yeah. directing.
Buffalo Bill is kind of like a such an underwritten character. I feel like Clarice Starling is so it's like the complete opposite of that, where she's like this fully realized character. Um, I have a quote here from, from the article, why the signs of the lambs is a feminist fable by Nicholas Barber. Uh, the film keeps reiterating that as a young woman trying to get on with her job, Starling has to put up with advances of various kinds from the men around her. The smarmy Dr. Chilton an entomologist she consults. Demi also includes a remarkable number of shots of Starling jogging or walking purely to show the heads turning as she passes more than anything else. Signs of the lambs is a film about what it's like for women to be stared at by men. It's no accident that Buffalo Bill got started as a serial killer by spying on his female neighbor or that his climactic showdown with Starling. He is watching her through night vision goggles. Amazingly, Demi fashioned both a heart-shaped, heart-stopping chiller and a militant feminist commentary on sexual harassment and male gaze. Um, I do, yeah, I find like the, the shots of Sterling very, very subtle and very interesting, just like how often she's looked at in the film. Um, there are also a couple of shots of whenever it's either Dr. Shilton or um, Jack Crawford, they're framed in the center of the shot and they're looking directly in the camera, presumably looking at, at Clarice. Um, whereas like when it's flipped back and she's framed, she's slightly looking off, like mm -hmm. not directly onto camera, but directly off. So you, you never get the sense that she it's, she's always just being looked at rather than she is the one looking. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you could argue that like this film is, uh, you know, kind of clueless in its representation, um, and kind of like a transphobic mess. I believe that the portrayal and treatment of Clarice Starling is pretty incredible for 1991. Mm-hmm. Is this Lecter's handwriting? Clarice, doesn't this random scattering of sight seem desperately random? Like the elaboration of a bad liar, tie and Lecter. Desperately random? What does he mean? Not random at all, maybe. Like there's some pattern here. Yeah, but there is no pattern of the computers would have nailed it. Or even found in random order. Random because of the one girl. The one he weighed it down. Uh, Frederica Vimmel uh, from Belvedere, Ohio. First girl taken, third body found. Why? Well, she didn't drift. He weighted her down. What did Lecter say about the first principles? Simplicity. What does this guy do? He covets. How do we first start to covet? We covet what we see every day. Hot damn, Clarice. So Ardelia Mapp is Clarice's best friend and roommate at the Academy. It's portrayed by director and actor Casey Lemons, who also stars as Bernadette Walsh in Candyman. In both Signs of the Lambs and Candyman, Lemons' characters are underused and underwritten, positioned as minor support characters for the main white protagonist. Uh, I do really like the relationship between Ardelia and Clarice. It seems very warm and supportive, but at the same time, she's sidelined definitely towards the end. Uh, to further Clarice's story. Um, and Casey Lemons is discussed further in the Shudder documentary, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Um, I have another quote from an article called uh, The Woman Who Knew Too Much from thebaffler.com. 
So, and there's Casey Lemons, who played the inquisitive black woman in two famous horror films, Sons of the Lambs, 1991, and Candyman from 1982. In the former, she's Ardelia Mapp, a stellar FBI recruit who becomes little more than a source of easy exposition. In the latter, she's Bernadette Walsh, a graduate student who attempts to debunk the urban myth surrounding the titular villain. Of course, this means that Candyman kills her during his pursuit of her best friend and colleague, Helen, played by Virginia Madsen. As it happens, Lemons... Bernadette Walsh might be cinema's most telling inversion of the much maligned Mary Sue. Um, film nerd shorthand for a brainy female character who prevails against all logic. Bernadette um, unfortunately dies in spite of her considerate, considerable intelligence. Indeed, it's notable that the characters Lemon plays are punished for their pe- peculiar ability to pierce the mythological veil protecting male killers. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. I like her. I know. I like her a lot. It's she's just like great. such a shame that she's kind of sideline towards the, the sidekick and all these yeah i wonder why hey? yeah <laughs> yeah, no, yeah yeah there's a i mean we know that there's whitewashing in in mm-hmm. hollywood yeah absolutely. and it's seen very much i think in her well, i mean in so many so many mm-hmm. artists yeah. but hers particularly mm-hmm. um to kind of return to what we were talking about before uh with the complications and troubling of buffalo bill's character mm-hmm. and 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 yeah i i I'm hesitant to, to label this film mm-hmm. as transphobic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a transphobic mess. And I, I don't think that Clarice Starling is, is inherently a feminist mm-hmm. character. I mean, I think that it, that uh, what this film does or, or certain readings of the film is that it has this ability to weave a really complex narrative that um, I found is really articulated really brilliantly by Judith Halberstam in their article Skin Flick Post-Human Gender in Jonathan Demme's Sentence of the Lambs. Uh, Judith Halberstam, we've talked about on the show before, I can't recall the film, but the article was when they were, um, they've been cited as Jack Halberstam, but this article is published as Judith. Um, So they discuss the film through the visual metaphor of skin, Mm -hmm. writing about the delicate boundaries between people, between criminal and detective, between men and women, between murderers and victims, Uh, ruminating on how Buffalo Bill desires to be inside his victims through making a suit of their skin and how Dr. Lecter needles into uh, people's minds through manipulation and emotional baiting. Mm -hmm. Halberstam addresses the blurred stories, um, stories which require other stories mm-hmm. um, and, and confuses uh, and smudges how those things confuse and smudge human relationships. Um, so in delving into the really rich character that is Buffalo Bill, Halberstam articulates how they represent uh, a gender trouble that is really pertinent to our particular point in time, writing that it is a time when it is becoming impossible to tell the difference between prejudice and its representations between then uh, homophobia and representations of homophobia. Mm-hmm. So Buffalo Bill is a human at odds with gender identity or sexual identity, and his self-presentation is a confused mosaic of, of signifiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haversam then goes on to write how Buffalo Bill is prey to the most virulent conditioning heterosexist culture has Mm -hmm. to offer, which is the belief that anatomy is destiny. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's a really, really fantastic character to pick apart. Mm -hmm. There's so much there. Um, The article goes further into Buffalo Bill's pathological pathological gender dysmorphia, and I highly recommend it for anyone wanting further thinking on this. Mm but it also gets into gays, especially in regards to the autopsy mm-hmm. scene with yep. uh, Clarice Starling. Mm-hmm. Um, and about into the domestic parallels of Buffalo Bill's sewing and Dr. Lecter's cooking and consuming, as well as getting into how Silence of the Lambs features uh, a different relationship between murder and sex and murder and power um, than that seen in many horror mm-hmm. films or in many situations involving gendered violence. Uh, Howard Sam's article begins with Hannah Arendt 
Arendt's uh, report on the banality of evil, which covers the case of Adolf Eichmann uh, in 1963. And Eichmann, for those who don't know, was a Nazi war criminal, one of the main five organizers of the Holocaust. I'm sure you've heard their name before. Um, Arendt writes that the trouble with Eichmann was precisely that so many were like him and that the many were neither perverted nor sadistic, that they were and still are terribly and terrifyingly normal. So this discussion on monstrosity um, and the banality of it is threaded through Halberstam's writing, wherein the reader is invited to contemplate the violence of understanding gender as inherent and innate. Um, and to again quote Halberstam, not simply murder a monster, Buffalo Bill challenges the heterosexist and misogynist construct, constructions of the humanness, the naturalness, the interiority of gender, even as he is victimized by them. He rips gender apart and remakes it as a mask, a suit, a costume. Gender identity for Buffalo Bill is not the transcendent uh, signifier of humanity. It is its most efficient technology. Mm. Um, so the reader is also invited to look at the banality of evil woven through, I mean, our criminal justice system and our law enforcement and the cycle of production and consumption, um, which occur in Hollywood cinema. So, yeah, I really recommend that article. Um, it, it helps really alleviate any sort of desire or, uh, yeah, the difficulties with mm -hmm. the subject matter that yeah, we handle. Absolutely. And it helps bring language and context to a lot of the difficult stuff that we come in contact um, with watching the horror genre and yeah, the complications of when is it representation mm -hmm. and when like thinking again of the, um, like the, uh, the how weight is, is discussed and mm -hmm. represented yeah. the size 14, th these women that, that are not given voices. Yeah. And I think that's really pertinent to what occurs around us all the time is, yeah. is yeah. Like the, the, the identifiers that, uh, that are constructing our identities and our place in the greater structure of it all. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 I'll have to read that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really, it's really good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Quid pro quo. I tell you things, you tell me things. Not about this case, though. About yourself. Quid pro quo. Yes, Yes, and now, Clarice. Poor little Catherine is waiting. Go, Doctor. What is your worst memory of childhood? Death of my father. Tell me about it and don't lie, or I'll know. He was a town marshal, and one night he surprised two burglars coming out of the back of a drugstore. They shot him. Was he killed outright? No, he was very strong. He lasted more than a month. My mother died when I was very young, so... My father had become the whole world to me, and when he left me, I had nothing. I was 10 years old. You're very frank, Clarice. I think it would be quite something to know you in private life. Quid pro quo, Doctor. So tell me about Miss West Virginia. Was she a large girl? Yes. Big through the hips, Romy? They all were. What else? She had an object deliberately inserted into her throat. Now, 
That hasn't been made public yet. We don't know what it means. Was it a butterfly? Yes, a moth. Just like the one we found in Benjamin Raspail's head an hour ago. Why does he place them there, Doctor? The significance of the moth is change. Caterpillar into chrysalis or pupa, and from thence into beauty. Our belly wants to change too. Hey, so that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can tune into Bikini Drive In every Sunday at 4.30 on CKOW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Uh, yeah, thank you, Jill. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Olive, yeah. for having me. Um, yeah, you can, if you want to continue the conversation on uh, Signs of the Lambs, or if you have any uh, suggestions or questions, uh, you can email us at bikinidrivein at gmail.com or message us over Facebook, which is just Bikini Drive-In. Yeah, we'd yeah. love to hear from you. Yeah. Or, yeah, any any questions you'd like us to answer. We here. love answering your questions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
You're listening to CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Our frequency celebrates diversity.